Welcome to the How and the Why. With John Barrett Ingalls. Exploring and celebrating the creative process and the creative purpose of authors, editors, and artists that make up and inspire the Black Hill Press family. Black Hill Press is dedicated to the novella. We believe a great story is never defined by its length. Let's get creative. the how and the why brought to you by Black Hill Press. My name is John Barrett Ingalls, and today we are connected with Steve Westbrook, a professor at uh, Cal State Fullerton, and also the, uh, um, oh, you just told me exactly what to say, and I forgot. <laughs> You're the faculty advisor for the Dash Literary Journal. Steve, thank you for joining us. That is correct. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. I, I just got caught up in my head about what not to call you and what to call you. Uh, so Steve, um, how long have you been with Cal State Fullerton? Uh, I feel like I blinked and suddenly I've been there almost a decade. Um, I started in 2005. Yeah, so actually almost a decade, nine and a half years. Wow. Yeah. And are are you uh did was Dash kind of your baby? So that's kind of a long story. The the cliff notes are um it it was I'm grateful that it was sort of put into my lap. Um a, a graduate student named Corey Jackson, who has actually gone on to be quite a successful YA author, um, came to me as a faculty member and said, Hey, I want we should have a literary journal, why don't we? And I said, oh, we used to have one, but the faculty advisor who used to do it quit after a year because it was so much work. Um, and then I uh, naively or, I don't know, um, uh, kindly or whatever, uh, took, took it on, and I was very glad and grateful that I did. But it, was, it became a collaborative effort, but it really started um, with, with a student, Corey Jackson. Because hmm. you, your journal is a class as well. So like the whole putting it together is an actual class that students take. Yeah. So in the beginning, it was this project that people, you know, we just really wanted to make this happen. We had the idea of um, this journal that really emphasized short, emphatic expression. Um, and that evolved into it. At first we just scrambled, you know, to find some Corey did the design herself. Uh, we scrambled to get uh, other folks to contribute, and it turned into this, you know, interesting issue. And then it really evolved to, uh, I think, sort of the point where it recognizes its own brand now and um, mm. is a real sort of unified thing. And we 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 intentionally kept it very small. We're still pretty small, but I mean, we didn't join 
CLMP. We didn't get any distributors. We didn't do anything like that because we wanted to kind of have a couple of years to experiment, um, figure out who we were before we sort of entered the, the larger literary marketplace. And uh, so, yeah, so then it evolved into a class, which I think is a, a cool aspect of it, um, where graduate students and some undergrads, by permission of instructor, get to basically serve as the editorial committee um, for the journal. Uh, so they're reviewing all of the um, you know pieces of fiction and poetry and creative nonfiction and sort of hybrid pieces that we publish. And they're also serving on a business committee, so it might be something like you know social networking um, or event planning, uh, those sorts of things. How many uh, issues do you release a year? So we're an annual, um, just one issue. Our reading period is, is short. We actually crank all of this out a <laughs> semester. Um, so we read January through the middle of March, uh, and then we publish the journal at the end of the spring term. And I think we're on, what are we on? We're on number eight coming up. Well, right, because uh, 2008 was your your first, your yeah. Mirror. Um so you do do you have a uh with only one issue a year, do you have like a a a theme, an annual theme or or um concept that all of the works fit into or what is the vetting sure. process? Sure. So um I guess let me answer it a couple of ways. First, I think the you know the larger sort of unifying idea, or or well, it comes in the form of our our tagline that sort of come has come out of doing this work, and that's uh, you know if brevity is the soul of wit, we want you quick and dirty. Uh, we we don't want that to lead to submissions of erotica because by no means do we publish that, but we want uh, <laughs> sort of really you know edgy experimental stuff that does a whole hell of a lot in a very very short space. Um, so that's always going to be, I think, the unifying feature of Dash. Um, we want enough space for fiction, for instance, where you know there can be an interesting arc. Um, so we've decided that our the number of words we allow corresponds to the year. So you know, 2014, our word limit was 2014 words, mm. uh, and then you know, one more word that might make, might make all the difference in the world for whether that submission gets accepted. That crucial word that gets in there uh, for 2015 this time. So that's the way we sort of organize things. We don't do um, thematic issues, um, and we talked about this collectively as a class. Uh, we decided that we, if themes emerge kind of organically from the work that we select, um, we try to sort of play those up, um, maybe with cover art, uh, as there are these sort of unifying features. So, for instance, um, in volume six, we had a lot of stuff um, that was like related to curiosity cabinets and, and um, uh, animals and zoology, just this weird kind of stuff. So our, our cover artist did these really cool illustrations um, of sort of dinosaur skeletons with weird masks on them. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that sounds terribly unified, but we, we make an effort to figure out if there's anything linking the pieces that we've already selected based on their merit and their, um, uh, you know, sort of maintaining the spirit of Dash. Um, so your your staff changes on an annual basis then because it's 
all yeah. uh, graduates and a couple of undergraduates. Um, but what what it, exactly as they're reading through what what are they looking for besides a, a word count? Sure. What are the elements that that uh, you're looking for for uh, entering into the journal? So one of the cool things I think about this journal is that it's entirely blind reviewed. Um, so just to say, first of all, we're we're not looking for friends of the editors <laughs> to, to publish their work, which I think happens uh, all too often. So we remove all of the identifying features, and then we sort of come at this in various editorial groups. Um, sometimes, by the way, the class is as small as 18, sometimes <laughs> as big as 60, which um, I don't know if you've <laughs> managed a literary journal before, but to have 60 editors in a room trying to agree or disagree is pretty maddening. Right. Um, <laughs> but well, took a lot of time. Yeah. And, and I mean, th pieces do get a lot of time, and, and we like this because, I mean, we do want to level the playing field. We feel like we're going through the, you know, proverbial slush with um, also sometimes fairly renowned writers. Um, I, I should say just uh, that we also... So everything comes out of what is essentially the slush pile, except for every issue. We do have a featured fiction writer, poet, nonfiction writer, and artist, and hybrid um, writer. Uh, but anyway, okay, so for the review process... Oh, I'm sorry about that. Uh, for the review process, we have a norming session in the beginning of the semester. First of all, everybody in class reads all the back issues of Dash, and we talk about what exactly it is that sort of unifies this journal, other than the fact that pieces are short. Um, and things that come up usually are uh, an experimentation with form uh, or a hybridizing of form in interesting ways. So, for instance, um, one of the pieces that always gets brought up uh, from the back issues as a model of what we strive to publish is this one called Resume. Uh, it's by a guy named Patrick Manning. And essentially, he uses the format of a resume to tell the story. Um, and it's just this really innovative take. Like, uh, when he starts, he starts out with his objective, and the first line is something about seeing a swarm of ladybugs, like exoskeletons, uh, you know, red and black all over his window pane. And it's this very sort of poetic language, and it leads you through through the format of the resume into this incredible story arc where you figure out this guy's background and his challenges and how um, he attempted to move out of his home to the Howard Johnsons to get some freedom from his mom. And all of these things get revealed. And it's, it's funny. Um, and there's also some poignancy underneath it. I mean, one of the things that um, also comes up is that the students and editors sort of feel like often they want the kind of humor that, that hurts, where it might start off with something witty and, and a sort of superficial chuckle, and then it leads to, um, you know, the kind of uh, emotional resonance that really makes you react to, to empathize with a, a character. Another one um, that I'm thinking of off the top of my head just to sort of demonstrate what sort of stuff we're looking for was called um, and a Happy Ninja New Year, a Warrior's Power Rankings. <laughs> and it was sort of this end of the year recap, almost like uh, profiles of like um, uh, fantasy football or like a, a gamer's pro profile mm -hmm. of characters, right? And so there'd be like a character sketch of, of mom, then they'd give last year's ranking, it would be super low, you know, like this <laughs> mom got a two last year, and then it would be the pros and the cons of 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 this character written as if it was this you know this fantasy so 
basketball thing. It was it was great. It was really hilarious. So we like people who really push the boundaries of what a form is supposed to do and, and transform it into something um, that we hadn't expected. We also probably have a little bit of a bias for surrealist work. Um, mm. Some of the poets that we publish, I mean, we Brendan Constantine is one of our featured poets. Um, ben Laurie was one of our featured fiction writers. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with their work, but mm-hmm. Brendan seems like uh, butterflies and spitballs and tiki torches are going to come out of his mouth like all at the same time uh, for a crazy, interesting, I'm not sure what's happening here experience. Uh, we are very interested in that sort of thing. Now, how do you uh, decide on your featured artists and featured writers? So um, we leave that up to the editors who happen to be in the classroom that semester, um, mostly. I mean, honestly, this for me, this is a real... Um, learn by doing experience for the students. Uh, so we sort of pool who has ideas, um, who are they thinking about. Uh, we try not to encourage it just being, oh, I know this guy who knows this guy. Um, many times uh, they'll have very specific ideas of who they'd like to recruit. Sometimes we're not sure that we can get those people, but we give it a shot. Uh, other times, I, you know, nobody has a particular idea or, or the connections aren't working out, you know, I'll just call somebody I know. So so that part of the journal is acceptable for, you know, um, networking and, and getting people in that way. Mm. Uh, but the regular submissions, not at all. Um, but I will say, so for instance, let's see, I think it was a couple of years ago, we had an editor, editor named Joe Blair, who was a student, grad student in our program, uh, and another one named, named Matt. Um, and they really wanted... Um, Ron, a piece of fiction from Ron Carlson. Um, and so they just, you know, said, hey, uh, we want to do this. Is there any way we can do it? They, you know, went through his agent. Ron was kind enough to say, yeah, we can do this. And so um, he gave us a piece of fiction. Uh, they also wanted uh, a piece from George Sanders. Um, George Saunders, his agent said no. <laughs> Uh, but we managed to get a really a very brief interview with him, so we, we did that. So sometimes it's just, you know, people thinking of, honestly, their sort of literary heroes or the writers that they admire. And just, mm. I mean, you can always ask, so they ask, and sometimes we, we get it, sometimes we don't. Um, so you use poetry, you do fiction, you do what you call hybrids as well. Is there like a... Uh, preference or like a uh, quota that you want to meet to get a certain amount of poems, a certain amount of uh, fiction pieces, or is it still kind of like, could there be an issue that was all poetry or all fiction? Mm. Um, so we don't have a quota really, and since everything com- more or less comes in um, through the slush pile with the exception of the featured writers, uh, we always face that risk. Um, <laughs> What are we going to do? We're supposed to, you know, publish this genre. We don't have anything. Overwhelmingly, um, we have the greatest number of submissions of, of poems all the time, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> which just speaks to the contemporary publishing scene, at least the indie publishing scene, for sure. Um, I, I don't think we've we've wound up a thin, maybe once or twice on hybrid. When we first started, we wanted to do something that we were calling micro lit crit. You know, which is just really, really short literary criticism. Um, I don't think that 
people are as familiar with that kind of writing. Um, we were thinking, I don't know if you've read, um, uh, what is it, Barth's uh, Mythologies, um, but he has, he does these very sort of short little essays. Um, his famous one on sort of Parisian wrestling is hmm. in there. Uh, he has one on the where he analyzes the cover of Paris Match uh, for some kind of uh, racist presumption, nationalistic presumptions that are going on there. And it reads almost like, you know, um, a memoir or narrative, but it combines that with um, really intense and, and poignant criticism. So we were kind of hoping for that. Um, I think we would need to launch a bigger effort uh, to educate folks about sort of what we mean by that and to we, – we definitely would have to solicit a lot more if we were going to try to keep that alive. So we kind of let it die a sad, whimpering death, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but with the other categories, we've, we've been all right. Every now and then we're thin, but, but we don't really solicit beyond that one featured artist. So we just kind of roll the dice and take our chances. So how did you – 2008, how did you, uh, I'm sure you get an overwhelming amount of submissions now, but how did you yeah. solicit back in the beginning? Did you stick mainly within the uh, the channels of the university? or? Um, so I, I honestly don't recall for that first issue. I, we did we did then um, much more sort of the university community, the, the larger Southern California community, and we do still try to um, work with uh, local authors, you know, whether they mm -hmm. have many, most of them have a national reputation. But um, I, I, I don't totally recall how we did that. Um, and now, of course, I mean, we post advertisements in Poets and Writers and Writers Chronicle and that sort of thing. Um, get our submissions there and through uh, online on the P&W website. And, and word of mouth. Um, I should say too, though, that we we do publish um, editors' contributions occasionally, and occasionally Cal State Fullerton student stuff. But those two are blind reviewed, and the way that the re review process works, we make sure that there's sort of a gag rule, and folks don't know um, whose work is what, and no one on the editorial committee will ever be reading their own work. So hmm. occasionally we get students work in the journal, but it's really, you know, maybe three out of 50 pieces or something. Um, that would be fairly high. It's, it's really competitive. We were, we all, it was almost a, a bit of a, a potential scandal this past year. Our, we had a runner-up to our poetry contest, and none of us knew that it was an undergraduate at Cal State Fullerton. Um, it surprised, wound up not going to him, but he blew everyone away with his work. Um, and, it, you know, it would have been, it would have looked horrible in the in the post sort of. Well, you familiar, familiar with this term, Jory Graham rule? You heard of that mm -hmm. before? Mm -hmm. So back in I think it was '99 or 2000, the University of Georgia Press held a, a book competition, and this was an ongoing thing uh, for a poetry book. And you know that's sort of the way that most poets get their first book published these days. Um, so Jory Graham was a judge, and she selected her former student and future husband at the time for the award, and he hadn't entered the contest. <laughs> so, uh, and people, this would have been swept under the rug, but there was this little organization um, called Foetry, uh, Fraud Plus Poetry, 
uh, that was started by the husband of a female poet who was discontent with the sort of contest scene. I realize this is sort of a long, circuitous story, but the, the point is to say that there were not a lot of ethical guidelines in place for poetry contests. Since then, uh, the Council of Literary Magazines and Presses has established guidelines, um, and obviously, you know, uh, it, it is frowned upon for someone acquainted with the journal to, um, you know, have a chance at winning this work. There right. were other scandals in right. Iowa, too, where it was like all Iowa graduates that were winning their contests. So, and this one slipped by. We didn't know that this person was an undergrad. So, uh, it would have been a mess if he had won. <laughs> uh, but it was, it turned out to be okay just, just by chance. But we will definitely, uh, I think we learned from that that we need to be even more, it sounds horrible, but sort of policing about, you know, making sure that this doesn't accidentally happen. Now, go into a little more detail about your submission process and uh, um, what what you're looking for and uh, what your your writers could get if they were published. Oh, okay. Um, so, I mean, you know, technically, the, I gave the word limit for fiction, and the poems are 33 lines or under, um, and. Like I said, we're, we have a little bit of a sort of neo-surrealist bias from time to time. Um, I think work that resonates with our editorial staff, although, you know, I will say it's challenging since it changes from year to year, um, but work that resonates tends to uh, have that that sort of um, relationship between humor and, and intense emotional connection. Uh, a lot of times, like, what is it? I, uh, this is going to be a weird way to describe it. Have you ever seen this video that's a collaboration between The Flaming Lips and Miley Cyrus? Yes. You have? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't know is... if, our, if our listeners have, but uh, you know, go to, go to YouTube and look it up, and uh, good luck watching it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. but So I wouldn't say our journal aesthetic is anything like that. But to me, that video looks like like maybe an 18-year-old who is, uh, I don't know, struggling with whatever issues he or she is struggling with, like made this thing in, let's say, his garage, but had an incredibly high production value. Just like, right. I don't know, right? Like some rich kid teen made this thing. Um, we do tend to like works that, I don't know, come out of that awkwardness of like, I mean, I'm, I'll give away my generation here, but of like, you know, those like Don Hughes movies and like the character of Ducky and somehow mm -hmm. relate to like adolescence and maybe early 20s. But instead of it being sort of fluff, all fluff or all weirdness, I mean, we want this stuff to really sort of uh, become transcendent, you know, to just transform us and take us someplace else where we didn't expect to go. And when we get that combination of like, you know, awkward, youthful, uh, energy and uh, I don't yeah maybe it's like John Hughes meets Sartre or something you know <laughs> that's what we want uh, and so with your your submission I'm looking at your submission page now I love that you have um, you know your poem submission 33 lines or fewer and then 2,000 words or fewer for the nonfiction and then you have the hybrid surprises yeah. I love that, and I, and I 
hope, I know you say that sometimes you have to solicit, but I hope that people are looking at that and going, ooh, this is my outlet for this crazy thing that I'm, uh, you know, this play or whatever it is that, uh, you know, I, I just needed a home and I found it here. Yeah, and that's the exciting part for us, really. I mean, when we are genuinely surprised, and, and one reason we don't want to really legislate, you know, what the, the boundaries are there is, is for that reason. We've got everything from, like, that resume I was project I was telling you about to, to postcards that come in um, that are really cool to, like, blackout news articles where someone's, you know, taken the pen and sort of edited over the existing article to make it into a new narrative. Oh, wow. That, that's yeah. pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it's really fun to read, you know. And then you're you have a poetry contest as well. Um yeah. And uh for submission there's no you're not paying to submit, but for the poetry contest, you're uh, um there's a $10 uh submission fee. It's yeah, it's 10 bucks to submit for the poetry contest or $15 for um, to submit and receive a, a one-year subscription. So one subscription. Year. Um, and then does, did the winners get published in the issue over the next year? Yep. So we always publish um, the winner and usually the other folks who runners up, you know, um, maybe up to up to maybe five five people or so. Um, where can people find, besides your, your uh, uh, homepage, where can people find your journals? Are you uh, in bookstores or? So um, we have, uh, well, I, I don't know. It's kind of boring. I won't get in. I'm, I've, I've been taking on new administrator responsibilities, so I'm thinking like an administrator, and whenever I do, I have to censor myself because I just feel a little my soul dying a little bit. So I will not start on the administrative perspective as I started to do. Um, but right now we are considering um, wider distribution um, through uh, FPD, small press distribution. But that would create an incredible new workload and a whole range of issues that come with that. So right now, um, we just we, we print a very limited number, um, and our contributors get copies. Uh, and we have a, a small subscription list that we just run independently. Um, and we also host uh, events, launch parties, those sorts of things where we uh, sell the journal. So, you know, maybe we'll print 500 copies and we'll just hope to sell out of all of them right. um, without wider distribution. What about archival copies? Like, would people be able to go and pick up your one year, your 2008 issue or the 2009? Yeah, so people could contact me, um, and I'm happy to give my email address if you want me to do that. Should I do that? Uh, sure, if you yeah, if you feel comfortable. Okay. I, have, so, I have millions of listeners, so you know you might get a lot of uh, <laughs> overwhelming uh, response. I'll, I'll make them go through a, uh, a a hoop just to make sure they really want it. <laughs> so if they if they go to um, Dash's website and navigate around enough, uh, or if they go to the English department's website at Cal State Fullerton. Um, they can find my page, uh, and they can just send me an email, and I would be happy to uh, send back issues. 
Um, we we have a limited supply. Some we've already sold out of. Some, you know, we have um, maybe 10 copies. It, it sort of varies. But if people mm -hmm. are really interested, they can certainly um, send me an email. Just go to Cal State Fullerton's website or go to the Dash Journal website, and they'll be able to find the info there. I also want to give uh, uh, praise to your your cover artist. These covers are amazing. Uh, I love the uh, the peachy folder cover from the 2009. <laughs> Isn't that great? I, yeah. I like that one a lot, too. The the class decided they wanted to do that collectively, um, no question. And we went back and forth with the designer. We loved the way it turned out. So, and I will say, um, I mean, you know, part of this is a sort of pride in, in uh, you know, community and, and pride in Cal State Fullerton. All of the artists have come, were Cal State Fullerton students at the time or came out of the program. So, that one, the peachy folder one, was done by a guy named uh, Tony Bach, um, Anthony Bach, and he, uh, you know, he did a great job on that. Um, Kristen McClure was a English MA graduate, and our, the last three issues, um, the cover art has been done by Hannah Diaz, who's an undergraduate art student who also works in our writing center, who's phenomenal. Like we, mm. we loved her work. And then the designer um, for the last, we used to have to design it out of house, but um, for the last three years as well, I believe, the designer has, uh, for layout and that sort of thing, has been Skylar Schultz, who's an English MA um, graduate and who also interned for Red Hen Press. So, um, you know, I mean, part of this also, you know, from a teaching perspective is to give students as much opportunity as possible um, who are interested in literary publishing to sort of, uh, get a get a grounding on what it means, and then to network with other local presses uh, and and try to find them more opportunities there. So I, honestly, that's one of the things that's been most rewarding for me. Obviously, I'm coming at this from a, a writer's, but also a, you know a professor's and a, and a mentor's perspective. And so it's been great to see students excel in that regard. Well, it's great, and uh, I hope everybody that's listening goes and and checks it out. Uh, Dr. Stephen Westbrook, I wanted to uh, thank you for your time, and I knew I'd get the doctor in there somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so thank you very much for your time. It was a real pleasure talking with you. Absolutely. This has been The How and the Why by Black Hill Press. I'm John Barrett Ingalls. The show was produced by Kevin Stanek and yours truly. The music is Maya Lua by Bossa Zuzu. I wanted to thank everybody for your creativity and your inspiration and to remind you all to keep making art. Thank you.